Amen. I was just sitting there thinking that, um, <clears throat> you know, from a human perspective, I was thinking, not from God's godly perspective. We know that God knows everything, always knew everything. There's nothing that is unfolding in time uh, that God didn't know was going to happen exactly the way that it's happening. And, uh, and so they didn't, you know, God didn't sit down with the Holy Spirit and in in Jesus in heaven and make a plan and say, hey, guys, what do y'all think about this? Okay, but I just had that thought of what it would have been like. So from a human perspective, and I do believe that this is consistent with the will of God. Um, so humor me. What if God, you know, God was sitting up in heaven. Thank you. I mean, you're welcome. Uh, what, if, what if, I mean, I could just visualize the, the Holy Spirit and God and Jesus talking about us and saying that very phrase that we just sang, that ultimately, you know, they were saying, you know, we're going to, and I know this is true, I know they had to, at some point, had the discussion, okay, it's time to include humanity, to create man, and, and it's time to unfold that part of this plan, to create man and bless him, show him the blessing of what it is to live in relationship with us. So God, uh, you know, that time came, and I imagine that it would have sounded something like, so that man can realize that with me he has everything, and without me he has nothing. But he'll make that choice. We'll give him the freedom to make that choice. Of course, knowing from the beginning of time, Ephesians 1, that, that man would choose not uh, to let God be his God and would choose not to take the blessing that God had that would come through obedience. But instead, man would say, no, we want to earn something. And God was saying, but wait, there's a blessing. I'll just, give you, I'll just give you everything. But no, we want to earn it. And God knew all that was going to happen. I just think how much we fight that very concept, that one thing, that, just that one idea. And, and if you haven't discovered yet that with God you have everything you need, everything you want, that the joy that you're looking for, the fulfillment in life, the abundant life, the incredibly good fun, enjoyable, uh, full life that you're looking for, God put that desire in you, and he also plans to give it to you. But the only way that's going to happen is when we realize that God is everything. He is all we need. We don't need to be in control. And I was thinking, you know, for, as we're, we're, we're continuing this series on becoming a community that blesses. We haven't really touched on where that came from, the idea of blessing and where it came from. So I just want to touch, I mean, we did a year or so ago, but we haven't touched on more than that. But we haven't come back to that. So I want to come back to that as we continue our study in Acts. But I, give me just a second to, to unfold this thought. Y'all with me yet? Everybody awake now? Okay. Uh, there's a lot of transition that happens that y'all can't see, but I see it at all. You know, so I just kind of fill in, I just do kind of fill in stuff until you get ready. All right, but now it looks like everybody's engaged. So here we go. So here's the thought I had this morning, that idea of God being everything for us. Israel didn't get that. But even before Israel, Abraham got it. There were, there were people that got this. And the, the whole concept of God walking in relationship with man and unfolding a blessing to him, uh, Abraham becomes the father of that, the father of this blessing that God intends to give us. And it happens, or we, it's recorded in, uh, in Genesis chapter 12. So let's read that and, and just think about it for a second. What does it mean when we say that we want to be a community that blesses? Well, all we're doing is we're joining this community that says, with him we have everything, without him we have nothing. 
We're joining the community of, of great men and women of faith who have gone before us, this cloud of witnesses uh, who were rare in the Old Testament, but this cloud of witnesses who, who said, with him we have everything, without him we have nothing. That's really what we're doing. So Moses, I mean, uh, Abraham was one that figured that out, and it was before the law. The law wasn't even in place, so there wasn't a legal system of rules to follow yet. That came later because, later because Israel decided they wanted to follow rules. No, they didn't want to just let God bless them. They wanted to earn something. But this is the blessing that God gave to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all the families of the, and in you, all the families or nations of the earth will be blessed. So God made that covenant with Abraham. It was a covenant of faith for Abraham, as described in Romans. Look at it. So we are the fulfillment of that covenant, by the way. We are also, as believers, even though we're not Jewish, that, that covenant was, it was included all nations that would be blessed through Abraham's faith. And Paul makes that clear in Romans chapter 4. Look at what he says. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith, because Abraham wasn't under the law. For if those who live by the law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is, uh, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and, by the, by, uh, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, the Jewish people, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in, in whom he believed. And God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. So he's talking to the church in Rome. These are Romans. They're not Jewish people, right? I mean, there are some Jews scattered among these, this Roman church, but he's talking to the Roman church. And he's talking to us that ultimately when God gave a promise to bless Abraham, it was a promise to bless people of faith, those who put their faith in God, and we have that fulfillment through Christ. You know, God, God has given us Christ, and so now we are sons and daughters of God. So we're under that blessing. There's a blessing that waits on us. It's the same blessing that God gave Abraham. Abraham had the faith to say to God, y'all with me still? He had the faith to say to God, you're always enough. He had the faith to say to God, I, I, I find my life in you. You're always enough. If I have you, I have everything. Abraham said that. He was that guy. Now, he, did he, was he perfect? No. God wants us to know we're not going to earn anything from him. Our perfect, we are not perfect. But he still had everything because of his faith in God. And so do we. So do we. We have everything in him. We, are, we, we just need to walk in that. And so the problem is, it can, continues to come for us as it did for Israel. We've never been under the law, but we still keep trying to earn things. 
And God is trying to say to you, in me you have everything. Quit. Stop. Stop trying to earn stuff from me. You're missing the point. You know, you, you, the point is you have everything in me. Well, then why, why do we do works? That's what I want to know. Why do you do works? Are you doing works because you think you're gaining something from God by those works? No, you, you are saying that the plan that God had for you is not good enough if that's why you're doing it. There's only one reason to work for God or work with God. It's because you love him and because you have discovered this truth that your joy is made complete when you obey what God says. And so you're, you're, you're defeating the purpose if you're continuing to work for your salvation, if you continue to work for God's approval. Let it go. In him you have everything. Instead, receive that. Walk in it because you want to. Walk in it because you know that God has an awesome plan for your life, that God wants to bless you, that God wants to in- increase your uh, enjoyment of life. He wants your life to be full. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full or more abundantly than you have it already. Y'all with me? All right, that's, that's what it means to be blessed. And then as a result of that, the same promise is true. If we are blessed under Abraham's covenant with God, then we're also going to be a blessing to others. He says, I'm going to bless you so that all the nations will be blessed. So that's what it means for us to be a community that blesses. All right, we're trying to, now we're going to dive into the word and find out what community really means as we go through this study in Acts and continue through this year. But being a community of God, a community of believers who are have, putting our faith in God, a community of Abraham's kids who are saying we're going to be like Abraham. We're just going to put, put our faith in God and not try to work for anything. Ultimately, that's going to make us a blessing to the nations around us. And I believe God wants to do that through this church. So let's pick up where we've left off. We're in Acts chapter 2. I want to read verses 1 through 12, and then we'll work our way through uh, a number of passages or a number of verses of Acts and just begin this study of. We're looking at the book of Acts because this is when the church came to life by the Holy Spirit. Literally, life was breathed into the church. We already looked at these, these and we'll, we'll come back to that in a second and get our context. But now we're, we're going to study the book of Acts to, to find out what does it look like when a community is blessed by God in such a way that they become a blessing to others. What does it look like when, the, when Abraham's seed starts living like, they, like they're Abraham's kids? What does it look like? So let's pick up. Acts chapter 2, I'll read verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, in the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors of Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, 
We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Now, let's remember what we've looked at so far in the book of Acts. God set his people up. He set up this 120 that were gathered in the upper room. He set them up, got them ready for a great spiritual movement, right? Y'all remember that? There were five things that he did. First of all, he gave them proofs of his resurrection. And we have claimed that for ourselves, right? The stories that have been told and the truth, uh, the historical facts that have been given to us, passed down to us of over 500 people that saw Jesus alive. They had a command to stay where they were. And we have claimed that, that God has brought us to this place, to this town, to this building, to this group of people, uh, to this community, to the places where we work. God has called us. They had a promise that they would receive spiritual power. We are beginning to experience that spiritual power in our lives. Each one of them, however, when the Spirit did come, had their own personal experience with the, with the Holy Spirit. Visible for them, not visible for us, but, but visible for them. They saw tongues of fire descending on each of those 120 in the room, knowing that each one of them had their own experience with God. So they had their own experience. Have you had that yet? If you haven't, come on. It's easy. Just walk in obedience to God, and the Holy Spirit will not only give you wisdom of decisions that you need to make and how you need to walk out your life, but he will also provide for you these God-exclusive moments in your life. They won't be like the upper room because the upper room's a one-time experience. It'll be like you need. It'll be God revealing himself to you in a way that you know he's real. So I guess the question really is, if you're trying to figure out, have I had that? The question is, do you know that God is real? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is real because of your own personal experiences? Or are you, draw from, are you having to draw from your parents or from some story you read in a book? Are you having your own experiences with God? I think the majority of our church understands that and have had your own experiences where God has spoken, you've been obedient, you've seen him move and work in your life in ways that only he could work, and you knew it was him, and you come to know him by experience. So we've had that. He gave them those personal experiences with the Holy Spirit, and then he gave them a crowd of people, and that's where we left off. He gave them a crowd of people. He drew those people around them, and, and all of us have those people around us. In order to be a community that blesses, we need to realize that we, everything has been set up for us. In the same way that it was set up for this great spiritual explosion that happened in the book of Acts, we've been set up the same way. God has given us the same setup, right? We're all there. So we're, I mean, it gives me goosebumps to even think about the possibilities. I have great expectancy about what God's going to do. I don't know. I don't have expectations. I'm, I'm, God is taking those out. I have expectancy. I don't know what he's going to do but I know he's up to something, and it's big. And it's gonna, he's going to use this tiny church to, to change a community and change, literally, it has a potential to change the world. You know we have missionaries all over the world? I talked to Brandon Roban this week in Turkey. Uh, man, God's moving and working in his life, and he is a representative. He's walking what we're doing here. He is walking it out with himself and his family and a few people in Turkey. Uh, you know, I, mean, we have, I talked to... to uh, uh, Chris Kopp in Galena, Alaska uh, last week, uh, and he's sharing what God's doing there. Same thing. He's walking this out. Uh, you know, we have missionaries in, in Bulgaria, in Canada, in Africa that are walking this out. We're already touching the world. We're out there, and we have the potential of many of you who may feel the call of God to go to some foreign country, and we will send you, and God will provide for you financially. 
through this church and through others. God will provide. You need to go and be that. You know, God is, is, is setting us up. We're ready to touch the world. There are no limitations here. We're not trying to hold you in this church. We're trying to get you here so you can grasp the idea of this blessing. Get it. Realize that God is all you need, and then we will be glad to send you out to another town, to another village, to another country or state. You know, let us send you out. We want to. We're not trying to hold resources here. We're not trying to brag on how many people we have. We want you out of here once you understand these truths and get it in your heart, right? Y'all with me? So this is a place where you can be called and, and sent if God, if God calls you and God sends you. We want to be behind you on that. So we have, we're set up. God has set his people up in this small church, in this town. He set us up for a great spiritual move. It's going to be like something we've never seen before. I'm confident of that. So in the book of Acts, we're looking at that, this, this great spiritual movement and how it's going to impact the cities that are around and that these people go out to. Even the plan of God to bring people in and send them out was amazing uh, how he did this. But God knew what he was doing, and he knows what he's doing with us. But also in the book of, of Acts, Satan was setting up his army of demonic forces. He was getting ready too. I promise you, he had a strategy that he was getting together. And we're going to see it as we walk through this book, but just know that Satan is not going to take this move of God in the book of Acts, this Holy Spirit coming and people being empowered and changed and moving with God and God's people getting to know God. He's not going to take that sitting down. The same thing is also true for us. He's not going to take this move of God sitting down. He's already working. He's trying to defeat it before it ever gets going. I encourage you all, if you haven't read the book of Nehemiah in a while, go read it. I started to preach through that book but just because there's so much in it. You know, if you look at the, the key moments in the life of Nehemiah in the rebuilding of the wall, how many times in these key moments that when something great is about to happen, then here comes Sanballat uh, San and Tobiah and other eastern uh, leaders coming to, to complain, coming to fight them. The fight never ended. Every time a key moment came, they showed up, and we've looked at that. So we've been taking the time to learn about the tactics of the enemy, how to stand in the victory that we already have in Christ. We're not fighting for it. We're fighting what? From it. We're fighting from victory. And we've learned about standing firm in our spiritual armor and how to engage the enemy over the last four weeks, how to, how to engage him whenever he shoots his flaming darts at us, tempting us, trying to bring us down, trying to kill this move of God. We felt that. So we've been preparing our mind for battle and filling our minds with Scripture, right? We've been trying to put the Word in our minds so that we have that sword ready to fight the enemy and, and telling ourselves the truth about our salvation so we stand firm in that against the enemy. And he, the battle's between our ears, and so we're preparing ourselves for battle. God is helping us to do that, and, and our hearts are being changed as His Word is transforming not only our minds, but as we're abiding in Him and He's changing our hearts, giving us a deeper love for Him and a deeper faith in Him. And so that's happening. So today as we begin to see how the church appropriated what God provided for them in Jerusalem, I want you to, be, to see yourselves in that. Let's see ourselves in this story. When the Holy Spirit came, there was a goal that God had for them, and there's a goal for us and it's to continue to draw truth to live by as we join God uh, to become a community that blesses this area where God's called us to be, the place where you work, the places where you eat and drink coffee and whatever other things you drink. 
when you gather in those places that there's people around you that God has that he wants to touch. So, in this story, what we read this morning, 120 disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they, it was God-exclusive activity that happened. And we want that. We want that. We want God to fill us in such a way that God-exclusive activity begins to happen through this body. You know what's going to draw the attention of people around us is God-exclusive activity. Look what happens here. In verse 4, it said, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, when we read this passage, there's only a couple of times in Scripture where anybody speaks in tongues. It is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But we're not saying that we need to speak in tongues in order for people to to know that God's real. We're saying we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be a body that realizes and has the faith that God is enough, and we walk in his plan. And whatever the Spirit leads us to do, we do it. You're going to see as we go through the book of Acts, there are numerous and and a, a wide variety of things that the Holy Spirit does. Very seldom does he do the same thing in the book of Acts. These are the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We need to look at the whole book and see, here are some ways that the Holy Spirit moved and worked. Now, the Holy Spirit will never lead us to do anything that's inconsistent with his word. But the Holy Spirit will lead us to do all kinds of things, the kinds of things that will reveal to the community around us that he's real. So let's get that in our heads and realize that there was God-exclusive activity going on. Henry Blackaby says the reason why the world doesn't, is not drawn to God is because we're not doing anything God-sized. There's nothing that we're doing as churches that's God-sized. We, we quit listening to God a long time ago about uh, what we need to do in churches. We already got it figured out. God already told the Baptist church how to do things, and so we just do what Baptist churches do. God told us through the convention, right? No, wrong. (laughs) We don't. We finally have gotten freed up of that, right? What we're going to do is we're going to walk in what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. If it looks like Baptist, then we're Baptist. If it doesn't, then we're not. Right now, it does, and we are. But it doesn't look like typical Baptist, does it? And we don't do anything just because we do it. We're doing it because the Holy Spirit is leading us to do it. That's what makes the gathering place unique distinctive. That's what they were doing. And and church, we need to follow the Lord and do what he leads us to do. We're so careful as elders to lead this body in that way. I hope, I know that you do. And I thank you that you trust us as elders to make those decisions and to guide this church. But walk in what what God gives us to do. You need to walk in it as a church so the community around us will see this God-exclusive activity. I don't know what all God's going to do, but I know he's doing stuff right now. And so the people in response to that, they heard and they responded in amazement to what was happening in the book of Acts. Look at verse 6. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Cool word. I, I want to use that. Because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Listen, number one, they were drawn to this God-sized activity. They were drawn to something that, that was God-sized. It was God-exclusive. Right, so that, that's what we want. We want people to be drawn to God-exclusive activity, not to stuff that every church can do, not to stuff that every person can do, you know, but to stuff that only God can do. Y'all with me? We need to ask God to do only God, to God-sized stuff. God, show yourself through us. We want, uh, let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your, of your goodness, right? We want, to see, we want to see the glory of God, God-exclusive stuff. 
And they were drawn to this God-exclusive stuff. Uh, God put their language in the Galileans. That was the weirdest thing. Man, I thought, I remember I was thinking as I was looking at that and studying it, I was thinking, there was a time when we went to Uganda, when Will and I went to Uganda, just the two of us, uh, and, and I was training a group of leaders, and within that group of leaders, there's only about, I don't know, maybe 10, 12, 15 at the most people in a circle of leaders. We had a, a guy that was there interpreting for me, and he had to interpret in three different languages or dialects. Within that small group of leaders from this small area in Uganda that everybody walked to, or yeah, maybe some came on bus, I don't remember, but no, nobody had transportation, so they were close within these regions, but they had three different dialects. That's the idea that was happening here in Jerusalem. So many different dialects that happened because God dispersed the Jews and he changed their language at, at Babel. And, and so there were all these different languages, different dialects. They didn't understand each other. And so they heard them all in their same language. I thought, man, that would have been so cool if I could have just spoken and everyone would have heard in their own language of those, you know, in that small group of people. That's what happened. Man, that's God-exclusive stuff, Right? So, so they saw this God-sized activity. God put their language in these Galileans. And they were, the Bible says that they, were, they came together in bewilderment, that they were perplexed. I love that because you know what perplexed does? You know why they were perplexed? They were perplexed for a couple of reasons. Number one, because they've never seen it happen before. It was new to them. It was, it was something that, was, that man couldn't do. So they were perplexed by it, but also they were, they were perplexed because it was pregnant with, with purpose. There was something in this that they knew there was more, so they drew. There was purpose there, and it was personal for them. I love this. They knew it was personal because they were speaking in their own languages. When we go to Honduras, which we're going to do uh, in May of this year, when we go to Honduras, this is what I've noticed. That the first few times that I went, when I would speak, I always spoke through a translator. And I'm speaking to all these pastors who are great men of God. I mean, they love the Lord. Some of them have only been Christians for a few uh, months or years at the most, uh, coming out of these little villages to be trained. And they would come, they're hungry for the word, and you, you can't speak enough, and it's beautiful. But I, I didn't speak their language. When I speak English through an interpreter, I, you know, they responded well to me. But I noticed there was a, a guy that had been going out there a number of times. He was from the United States, and he, but he had started learning Spanish. And he got their language not down, but he, got it, he knew enough of it that he felt comfortable trying to preach in their language. And he fumbled through it, and they laughed, but they were so much more into what he was saying. And they, were so, they felt so loved by him because he made the effort to go and learn the language just for them. And I thought, man, I want to communicate that to them. I want to learn their language to communicate to them that I think they're important, that they're significant enough. That I'm not some guy that's, you know, some, some speaker from the United States who's this big name that comes to them and gives them a little bit of my time. I want them to know that I love them. And I just thought, man, this week as I was looking at that, I thought, that's probably what each one of these people were feeling. They're hearing the language, they're hearing this, this message in their own languages. And so when they heard their languages, they automatically knew there was purpose there for them. Right? There's something going on here that's for me. And, and I love that because, listen, everything that we have, church, and as we start learning how to do community well, it's going to be, it's not about us. It's about us showing the love that God's given us to other people. 
It's about us looking outside of these walls and saying, man, I want so badly for you guys to feel the personal touch of God. And if we're going to be a community that blesses, that needs to happen for us. I think there's no bewilderment today. I think there's no crowd gathering and bewilderment around the church. And I think the two reasons are because, first of all, we're, we're communities, but we're not biblical communities. We're not loving each other well. We come to church. Many of you are here today because you, because you like it here. It's about you. It's not because you're called to be here. It's not you didn't, you, you didn't come here for others. You came here for yourself. And probably all of us to some degree did that. But we need to be a biblical community. We need to be a community that's not about ourselves. We need to be a, a community that, that's, about, that's filled with the purpose of God and a passion for God for others around us. We are not a people that are drawn together because, of, uh, because uh, with obedience to Christ as our goal, being filled with the Holy Spirit and, and pregnant with the purpose of God, following the plan of God. But we need to be. We want to be, right? Don't we? Y'all with me? I mean, we want to be that. So let's be that. Let's begin to work on that. We need to be the kind of community that causes bewilderment and amazement. Listen to the amazement that, and, and hear the heart of those that, that God drew on this first church. Look at it in verse 7, 7 to 12 again. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it that they hear, each of us hears them in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, and all the like, all the way through the Cretans and Arabs? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? So God's doing his work. He's drawing them in. But now let's pause for a minute here, okay? Because remember, there's two powers at work in this book. And there's two powers at work in this, in this church. Uh, and there's two powers at work in this church. So what happens? Look at verse 13. It's only one verse. He hadn't got, hadn't, hadn't got much of a, uh, of a voice in this particular uh, chapter. But look what it says. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Right? There's Satan's feeble attempt. There's Satan, the little punk, coming out and saying, I got something to say. I got something to say. I got some little boys that will say it out loud. And so he draws some of his little demons, and they get in the voice of some of the people who are doubting what was going on, and they didn't have a leg to stand on. They said, well, hey, let's just throw it out. That's what it is. Man, they're just drunk. Satan's always coming, church. Listen, he's coming. All the way through the book of Acts, this is a, this is a people who are full of purpose, the purpose of God. They're full of the Spirit of God. They are, they are experiencing and demonstrating God-sized and God-exclusive activity, and the people around them are noticing it. And Satan hates it. He's going to do everything he can to destroy you and to get you on, on the uh, defensive and to, to destroy your witness by getting other people to doubt what God is doing. Just expect it. Just expect it, okay? Remember, be acutely aware, but don't be afraid. We got Satan defeated. That's why we've gone through what we've gone through uh, in that study. But look, Peter stood up with and addressed the crowd in verse 14. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. All right, let me stop there for just a minute before we talk about what he said. First of all, Peter stood up and addressed the crowd. Paradox of paradoxes. The guy who denied Jesus just uh, a few days earlier, 50 days, I guess, earlier, denies Jesus, is now standing up, and he's about to preach. Okay, so just get that. 
I know some of you are here and you're thinking, man, I've been the worst Christian ever. And everything you just talked about, I'm still in the middle of it. I'm trying to be works-based and all this stuff. I'm, I struggle, struggle, struggle. And I'm constantly, Satan is constantly defeating me. The worst ever. Paradox of paradoxes. Peter stands up. Okay? So listen. Please understand that this is the way we see you and this is the way God sees you. You might see yourself as the weakest member of the weakest tribe. You might see yourself as the weakest person in this building. You might see yourself as you don't even know why uh, you're at this church because you have nothing to offer. And if you see yourself that way, I want to tell you how God sees you. He sees you as a mighty warrior. And I want to tell you how I see you and how this church sees you. We see you as a mighty warrior. You're the one we're looking for. We got plenty of people who think they got it. You know, we don't, we don't even like for people to... <laughs> I'm saying I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. Because I feel like a spirit's in it. We don't even like people who know who got together to come in our doors. We are broken people, and we like that. You know, because all the way through the scripture, when God's looking for someone to use, He's looking for broken people. He's looking for people that don't have it together. What better way for God to manifest Himself in a God exclusive way than to start with somebody who's who's the worst of all? That's why Paul, when he recognized, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of all. I was the one killing the church. And God called me to be the one that wrote over half the New Testament. Embrace that. Okay, Peter stood up. But look, he didn't stand alone. It also said he stood up with the 11. And that scripture, that little phrase is so important. He stood up with the 11. I want you to know we are going to stand with you as a church. We're going to stand together in this walk with God. We're going to stand with you, behind you. We're not going to judge you. I'm, I'm working on that. Help me. Give me time. I'm working on not being judgmental because I get expectations and you don't meet them. And I go, I start thinking about how bad you are instead of how bad I am, right? But let's give each other grace. Let's walk in this together. We need to stand together. I need you to stand when I stand, and I will stand when you stand. And I need you to stand when I fall, and I'll stand when you fall. But we're standing together, okay? This is something God's calling us to do together as a community, all right? So he stood with the 11. And look. God spoke a personal message boldly through Peter. Let's, let's read the rest of it. All right, it's a big, big section, so just hang with me. Y'all with me? Y'all, y'all going to hear these words? This is God's words, not mine. It says it a lot better. Pay attention. Here you go. Acts 2, 14 to 36. Here's Paul's sermon, a Peter's sermon. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. He's doing it. He said, basically, he says, that translated says, y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. That's what he's saying right there. That's where I got that. In the Greek, that's what it means. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what, this, what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. There it is again. Same phrase. Listen. He's trying to make sure they're listening. He sees a couple of their minds wandering off. One of them's, you know, getting something to eat. Men, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man 
accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. God did it through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can con- tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and his, was buried and his tomb is here to, the, to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him and on oath that he would uh, place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ. He was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and hear. For David did not descend, uh, ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make you, my, your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. All right. God gave a brilliant message to Peter. It's brilliant. Why is it brilliant? Because it provided what the people needed to respond to Christ. It provided what those particular people needed to respond to Christ, to receive Christ. First of all, it, he, he, there was logic to refute what Satan had said. All right? He gets on their level. Number one, he gives them logic. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Okay, so what, what Satan just said through these guys is not true. It's silly. It's, these guys, it's 9 in the morning. These guys are not drunk as, as these guys suppose. All right, number one, he went with logic, okay? That's what they needed. They needed somebody to address what was just said. And so first thing God leads Peter to do, the Holy Spirit says, address this, and he does. And then the second thing he does is he, he gives historical support. He gives religious historical support using the, the words that God gave the church of the day. The Bible of the day. He uses the, the prophecies of Joel. He uses the songs of David that the people had sung all their lives. He uses stuff that they were familiar with. And he goes back and says, let me help you guys see truth. Okay, all this stuff that you've been taught by the Pharisees and religious leaders, Sadducees and teachers of the law, all this stuff that they've been teaching as, as truth is not truth. They started in the right place. They used the word of God, but they've taken it and they've taught their own versions of truth. It's lies. It's, it's false doctrine. And Jesus ultimately said, says to them, you beware of the teachings of the Pharisees. They don't understand the truth. They just are saying the words. Whew, man, that is us. That is religion in this town. That is the religious Uh, people in the elite religious people in this town, the ones that are so good at it are the ones that are following the rules. 
They, they have decided this is what the Bible means when it says this, and they have totally disregarded the Holy Spirit. And they're just walking in this tradition that has been passed down from year to year. And thank God, millennials are the first people, the first ones, literally, in, 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 in church history in the United States who have said we're not going to automatically inherit the religion of our parents. If that wasn't true, we wouldn't have a church. Now, I, I mean, I pre- look, I used to teach this in, in, the, in the 90s. I was teaching a book called How Now Shall You Live, and it had statistics uh, that Barna did research on the church. And he, they told us then that you guys would be the first generation that would not automatically, the church would not automatically inherit. In other words, you weren't just going to buy into it, that you were going to actually leave the church rather than follow what your parents did. And all the leaders, when I would teach this book, they would go, oh, what? And I was going, no, 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 you're missing it. This is good, right? This is good because their faith is going to be their own. It's going to be real. For the first time, they're not just going to buy into the pharisaical religious baggage that we bought into. They're not just going to walk in all that religious rules and regulations, all that junk that we bought into. They're actually going to let their heart be involved with God and walk in a relationship. It's beautiful, man. I'm so thankful that, that Barna was right in his predictions and that you guys have become that. And we embrace that here. I'm so excited about that. Uh, but they were holding on to truth, and they, were, they had to pull in order to, we've had to do that too, in order to help you guys, some of you, walk out of the bondage you were in. We've had to take the word and help you guys to see, no, see, this is what the word says. Let me show you what it means. And then we walk and we understand, for instance, grace for the first time in our lives. Right? And it's changing the way we live. And it's changing the way we treat others. Because that's who God is. And so he's going back. He goes back and gives them what they need. They need this historical support. And the hymns that they were singing. Have any of you, in your discovery of the imputed righteousness of God and the grace that God gives us, the fact that God doesn't require of us to do anything to be acceptable to him, that it's already been done by Christ. Since you've understood that, have the old hymns had new meaning to you? Haven't they? It's crazy how, man, we'll go back and read those hymns, and, and it's like, wow, Wesley got it, you know? Uh, you know, I can't think of any other hymn writers, but the old hymn writers got it. They understood grace. Go read the hymns of grace, and you'll see they got it. They understood it. We've been singing those songs all my life, and I never got it. Peter's going back. The Holy Spirit is going back through Peter's voice all the way back to help these people to to see that the songs they were singing are true, and they were predicting this moment when God would move and work. That's really what, that's my job here. That's our job as Christians is to try and take the truth and make an application to where we are today. What what did God say in the beginning that applies to us now? And, And that's what we're doing. So there's historical support. And then, of course, he shares the gospel, and he shares it clearly, and he shares it plainly. And he doesn't share anything uh, about stances of theological uh, truth. He doesn't share a list of rules to follow. He doesn't share experiences that they need to have uh, and what that experience would look like. He just shares that Jesus Christ died for their sins and that he rose from the dead and that they are the ones that crucified him. It was their sins. It was them that put him on the cross, and yet he wants to save them and offers eternal life to all. It's the simple message of salvation. 
It's not complicated like we try to make it. It's not denominational like we try to make it. It's just the simple gospel. Peter's preaching the simple gospel. Paul says the same thing. I preach nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not complicated. We don't have to understand how God saves if, he's pre, if people are predestined by a Calvinistic point of view or they're not by a Wesleyan point of view. You know, it, we don't have to understand how God saves. We just The basic salvation message is out there. We, we don't have to know whether baptism is by immersion or if it's sprinkling. or you know, We don't have to do a word study to figure all that stuff out in order to give the, pl- the plan of salvation to people. It's basic. You know what excites people is that they are sinners and they know it and that God did something for them that requires nothing from them except receiving him because they, everybody in, in this community that's lost, if you've shared Christ with anybody, you know this to be true. Everybody in this community that's lost thinks there's something they need to do in order to get with God. It's all different kinds of things, but they have these whole lists, and they're not even in the church, and they think there's a list of rules they need to follow. We have good news to give people in this town. And so what are, what are we saying through all of this? Ultimately, well, let's look at the response. Let's look at the response. So here's what happens when he shares the clear presentation of the basic gospel. Look at their response. Verses 37 and 41, because we hadn't read this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we need to do? We feel it. Man, that, that Holy Spirit stuff you're talking about, the love of God, that you're talking about, that it's offered to us, we feel it in our hearts. What do we do? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's us. Far off generations. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. About 3,000 were added to the number that day. 3,000 who had never heard this message before. 3,000 people were cut to the heart by a guy who couldn't even say the name of Jesus 50 days earlier. Couldn't even say that he knew him. Scared to death is now standing in front of everybody and saying the very thing that they crucified Jesus for. That he's the Christ. When Jesus said he was the Christ, they said, what else do we need? They blindfolded him, spat on him, beat him, told him to prophesy who was beating him. That was it. That C word is what they crucified Jesus for. And Paul and Peter is standing before all these Jews and saying, the one you crucified, he's the Christ. That, you know, he stands up, but filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches a very basic message. He draws, you know, the Holy Spirit leads him to draw from, the, from their historical background. He, he, the Holy Spirit leads him to refute the, the things that Satan was telling them about uh, the condition and what that was they were seeing. And it all came together in, in, a, in a community that was around them, not only being perplexed for finding out what the truth was about what was going on, and becoming a part of it. Those people joined the community that day. Now, I can take this message and go a hundred different ways with it. I'm not going to take it and go a hundred different ways with it, but I just want to say this. We need to be a community of people 
who are willing to be used by God, who, who just love God enough, know God enough. We're already filled with the Spirit. We're set up, but we need to walk in the Spirit in such a way that God can lead us to do God-exclusive stuff and draw people around us to us. And then be prepared to just open our mouths, weak as we are, to just be willing to open our mouths and share the basic truth of the gospel that we, that we hear all the time. We need to be ready to, to say it. And ask, but the Holy Spirit is going to speak the exact things that need to be said. I sat with a girl this past week and shared the gospel, and it was so surprising again. It's always surprising how the Holy Spirit takes the questions that a person asks and gives me words to say. And he does that, and he's ready to do that for all of us. So that combination of events is what the book of Acts is all about. We're going to see it over and over again. God-exclusive activity happens. People are drawn to God through it. The message is given in people's lives in a personal way, and people's lives are transformed. It's not us. We just need to become more aware of his presence. We need to become more aware of his leading. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us the power to follow what he says. We already know how to defeat the enemy. We need to walk in that, appropriate our armor, fight against the enemy. And we need to let, to, to, as people are drawn to this community because of the, God, the things they see God doing in this community, then we need to invite them in. Invite them in. Here's, what, here's what's going on. You need to be a part of it. Come on. You can be. We want you here. All right, let's pray. Father, take this word, apply it to all of us, to our lives. Help us to walk in it this week. I pray even for today, God, that you'll give us a moment with somebody where we get to see what your Holy Spirit is doing and working. Uh, and let them see the, the new us, God. Let them see the us that, that is dis- discovering the beauty of who you are. I just pray, God, that you would give us things to do in life, that challenges that don't make sense so that, you know, God-sized challenges so that the world around us will see and be perplexed. And God, then give us the words to say. And I just pray, God, that, that you will draw men to yourself. You don't have to draw them here to this church, God. It's not about that. But we ask you to draw them to yourself. And God, if you draw them here to this church, we want to bless them in that way too. Help us as we do this study, God, to keep ourselves grounded in the truth and make us a community that blesses. In Jesus' name.